are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. You know, you're awake, I like that. Defining moments, we've all had them, right? And there are more yet to come. I uh, don't know if you've ever seen this photo or not, but this is a photo of uh, Ruth Bell Graham's tombstone. Ruth Bell Graham was born in China. Her parents were medical missionaries. You probably know her because she was married to Billy Graham. But I love the end of uh, her tombstone, the epitaph there, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. Isn't that awesome? It reminds me that that, uh, we're all a work in progress. Anybody here this morning that's not a work in progress? That means I believe that there are more defining moments in your future and in my future. So would you read this aloud with me this morning? God's Word has in the past, can in the present, and will in the future provide the defining moments for my life. God's Word has in the past, can in the present, will in the future provide the defining moments for my life. Pastor Rick has given us an awesome definition of a, a defining moment. When you experience something that changes the trajectory of your life and sets the course you will follow from that moment on. Well, while we've had those defining moments in the past, there are still opportunities. I would argue regardless of our age, to have an intentional defining moment, an intentional defining moment today or, or this week or in the weeks to come. Let me take you back, way back in my past. This is a picture of a foraptor, a foraptor. Most everybody in this room knows what, what this machine looks like. You may not have known what the name of it was, but it, it's a foraptor. My, my first encounter with a foraptor was when I was in the fourth grade. And... Uh, and I, I, I did this. I convinced my mom that I was having, having trouble seeing. Now, that was a big lie. I, I could see just fine. And I had never seen one of those machines before, but, uh, but my best friend, his name was Doug, and Doug was, was really, really smart, and he was really, really athletic, and Doug wore glasses. And I wanted to be like Doug. So, so I thought if I got some glasses that, you know, that would make me really, really smart and really, really athletic. So, so I conned my mom into taking me to see an optometrist, and I found myself behind one of those foraptors. And here's what I tried to do. I, I tried to fake my way through the foraptor test like I couldn't see, you know, very well. Again, I was in the fourth grade. I was not privy to the conversation that the the doctor and my mother had, but I was told later that it went something like this. There's nothing wrong with his eyes. There might be some other problems in his life, though. (laughs) Well, Well, that wasn't a defining moment in my life, but the experience taught me that there's this big difference between seeing and seeing clearly. Defining moments have a way, I think, of opening our eyes and, and helping us see and experience more than what is right in front of us. And so this morning I want to draw your attention to a couple of stories from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8 and chapter 10. Now I want you to think about these stories really as bookends because we're going to spend most of our time in between chapter 8 and chapter 10, 
But, but these stories have a great deal in common. They are also really, really different. They are stories, two stories about blind men. The first blind man in chapter 8 is unnamed. He's brought by some friends to Jesus, whose scripture tells us begged Jesus to touch him. The, the location is Bethsaida. Bethsaida is also known as the house of fish. It was the hometown for Peter and Andrew and, and Philip. And I'm wondering if maybe they might have even known this, this blind man. But, but he's brought to Jesus because he can't see. The second man, maybe is more familiar to you, his name is Bartimaeus. Location is Jericho. This is chapter 10. Bartimaeus apparently didn't have any, any friends that brought him to Jesus. So the story's a little bit different, but you know, Bartimaeus is sitting beside the side of the road. He's begging, and he hears that Jesus is coming by, and he begins to holler out. And, and people in the crowd tell him to be quiet. Evidently, Bartimaeus was a bit stubborn, and their rebuke made him get even louder. And we'll come back to these stories in just a moment, but, but my guess is that you know the end of both stories. Both of these men were healed of their blindness. Talk about a defining moment. You go from, from not being able to see to being able to see, maybe for the first time in, in your life. That, that is a defining or a redefining moment. Sightless to 2020 vision. Now let me ask for a little more audience participation. You can do this online. You can do this here in, in the room. Uh, here's the question. You're stranded on a desert island. Not kind of the whole trauma of uh, Castaway and Tom Hanks. But you end up on a deserted island. Deserted island, it's you and a bunch of coconuts. That's it. Just you and the coconuts. And you can only have one book from the entire Bible that is in your possession. Just one book from the whole Bible Turn to your neighbor and tell them what would that book be if you only had one book on a desert island. Dan is struggling to find some, some books of the Bible that he could... Just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, let me ask you a little bit more difficult question and maybe a little more personal question, maybe a little bit more challenging question this morning. When you pick up God's Word... Do you read it as a, a document, or do you read it to hear his voice? As a document or his voice? I was having dinner with a, a friend recently. He, he's a graduate of Southern Nazarene University. He's uh, just a few years younger than I am. But as we began to talk at dinner about the impact of Scripture on our life, he said to me, he said, Keith, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this to you. But he said it was only about five or six years ago that I really fell in love with the Word of God. And I began to, to hear God speaking to me through what I read. And now he says, I can't hardly wait to open his Word each day. Karl Barth has a, a great line. He said, I've read many books, but the Bible reads me. Isn't that true? When you pick up the Bible, like, unlike any other book that you could ever pick up, it begins to, to tell you something about yourself and, and speak to you if you will allow it. So back to these two stories about blindness. It, if they're considered the front and the back covers of the book, what's inside the book? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Mark gives us 13 stories of encounters that Jesus has with other people just between the 8th chapter and the 10th chapter of Mark. 13 encounters, 13 conversations. 
Most of these conversations were with his disciples, but sometimes it was the whole team. Other times it was just a few of them. But there's also meetings with crowds. There's a meeting with a father and a son. There's a meeting with a group of Pharisees. There's a meeting with a group of children. There's a meeting with a a wealthy young man who you heard Pastor Chris talk about last week. These moments, these interactions with Jesus had at least two things in common. The first is, Jesus asked questions. I mean, lots and lots of questions. In fact, there are 24 questions that Jesus asked between Mark 8 and Mark 10. The second is, I believe that Jesus was working with people that could see, but they couldn't see clearly. So, so you've got a blind man at the front of the, the, this section of Scripture. You've got a blind man at the back of the section of Scripture. You've got s- people that can see in between those two, but I don't think they saw very clearly. So, so these 24 questions I believe that Jesus asked were, were clarifying questions. They were defining moment questions. They were questions, I believe, designed to take people from, from seeing to seeing more clearly. And as I spend time in God's Word reading the stories and as I listen to others tell their stories and as I reflect on my own life, I've come to believe that many, if not most, of the defining moments of life for me have been when God came and asked me a question. Sometimes the question is one for which I don't have any kind of answer at all. Often the question confronts me, stops me in my tracks causes me to become silent, or maybe the question causes me to talk too much. Thirteen stories, twenty-four questions are way too much for us to cover this morning. Somebody please say amen. I knew that I would get a good amen there. So I I, want to call your attention just to three of the questions from these thirteen stories. The first is a conversation with his disciples. They're traveling to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. It's in chapter 8. It's a road trip. Jesus has just recently healed this unnamed blind man. And and the conversation with his disciples appears to be really, really casual. They're not in a synagogue. They're not in any kind of a formal setting or anything like that. They're just traveling down the road. And and Jesus asks this question in the 8th chapter in the 27th verse. He says, who do people say that I am? Now, now think with me for just a minute. Do you, do you think Jesus really needed to ask that question? I, I don't think so. I, I think he already knew who people were saying he was. I don't think he was curious about this, but I don't think the question is accidental either. I think the question was very intentional. I, I think he was trying to take some people from seeing to seeing more clearly. He was asking the question for the sake of the disciples. He he wanted a defining moment for them, and and I think he wants defining moments for us too. Remember, God's Word has in the past, can in the present, will in the future provide some of the best defining moments for my life. I was talking with a pastor friend recently, and um, and it was a tough conversation. We, We were talking about his son. His son probably in these moments could best be described as, as a prodigal. And, and as we were talking, he was telling me that, um, you know, my, my son is just like a lot of PKs. He, he grew up Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, missions trips, NYCs, 
summer camps, graduated from Nazarene University, all of those things that, you know, we think are going to keep our children on the straight and narrow. And, and yet he finds himself at this point in his life with a son that is not there. And he said, he said Keith, I was praying recently, and he said, I was, I was calling out to God and I was quoting Scripture. It's a Scripture that, that, that we all know. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And he said, I was, I was almost yelling at God when I was praying these words. And he said, in that moment, I felt like I heard a really, really loud voice say to me, but he's not old yet. In, in other words, the story's not completely written. And he's got people, family and friends, that, that are praying that he will move from where he is right now, seeing, he's not blind, to seeing clearly. Chapter 8, this conversation with the disciples continues, and, and Jesus takes the question from who did the, the people say I am, who, who are the crowd saying I am, to, to a very, very personal question. This is a, a question that Google can't answer for you. You know, Google can answer most everything for you. But it can't answer this question in the 8th chapter of Mark and the 28th verse. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, often the spokesperson for the group, speaks up and says, well, you're the Messiah. And that was a great answer, and it would have been a terrific time to just drop the mic and walk away. Remain quiet for the rest of the conversation. You may remember the story. Uh, Jesus begins to share with his disciples what's going to happen to him soon. And he talks about the fact that he's going to be rejected, and he's going to be crucified, and he's going to rise from the dead in three days. Why in the world did he tell the disciples about this in advance? Well, I think once again he wanted to take them from seeing to seeing more clearly. They weren't blind, but they just couldn't see what was ahead. And then Scripture tells us that, uh, that Simon Peter pulls Jesus off to the side and begins to rebuke him. <laughs> I would have liked to have been there for that. Wouldn't you like to see somebody rebuking Jesus? Number one, I can't even imagine somebody doing that, but, but Simon Peter, he had guts and, and he had courage, and so he begins to rebuke Jesus. Before we're too hard on Simon Peter, how many times have you thought you saw things clearly? Only to discover that there was more to the story. There was a part of the story that, that, that you didn't yet understand, that you didn't know. Anyone in the room today or listening online that would like a do-over about something that they've said or maybe something that they've done in, in their past? I think we all have. Well, there's another road trip with his disciples. This is chapter 9. It takes us to the, the third question. I think this is one of the most embarrassing moments, or at least it should have been one of the most embarrassing moments in all the history of the disciples. They're traveling with Jesus. And there were a lot of those moments. But on this particular trip, the disciples get into an argument with each other about who's the greatest. Now, once again, can you imagine this? I mean, this just seems crazy to me. They're, they're arguing about who in their little group of 12 is the greatest. And they, they get to a, a stopping place, a house in Capernaum. And Jesus asks them this question, ninth chapter, 33rd verse, 
What were you discussing on the way? gets as quiet as it is in this room right now. You could have heard a pin drop. Crickets. Nothing. In my mind, I, I see these disciples hanging their heads, looking at their sandals. Nobody, even Simon Peter, wants to jump forward and answer this question. It's just quiet. Jesus, I believe, in that moment asked that question because he wanted them to go from seeing to seeing more clearly. So he speaks these words. Whoever wants to be first needs to be last and the servant of all. Talk about a, a, a do-over moment. Can, can I ask you again, anyone listening that needs a do-over or as my golfing friends would say, a, a mulligan? A few years ago, I met two individuals who both wanted a do-over but for for different reasons. The, the year was 1992. The date was October the 18th. The place was Indianapolis. Indianapolis, Indiana. Misty Wright got, got a, a night out with her friends, and when the night finished, she decided to stop by Burger King and, and get a soft drink. And, and then she realized that she needed to call home and tell her parents that she would be home soon. This is pre-cell phone days, at least it was for Misty, and so she she sees a payphone and she pulls into a gas station, pulls up to the gas pumps, and, and she walks to the, the, the payphone. Misty was a, a senior in high school. Uh, she had a full ride scholarship to play softball in college. She had literally everything you could have going for you in life. Keith Blackburn, on the other hand, uh, had nothing going for him. He was a high school dropout, abused alcohol was using LSD. He was told repeatedly that he would be dead or he'd be in prison by the time he was 18 years of age, and, and he believed that. That night, he was planning a robbery. He was going to rob a convenience store, but in order to rob the convenience store, he needed a, a getaway car. And when he saw Misty at the payphone and her car at the gas pump, he thought he had found his much-needed vehicle. Well, the carjacking went terribly wrong when he put his 25 caliber pistol up to the side of her face and pulled the trigger. The bullet went through her gum, her esophagus, severed her carotid artery, and he left her dead beside her car that wouldn't start. And oh, by the way, it's good that the car wouldn't start because her head was under the wheel. All he got away with was her purse. A month later, he was arrested and charged with attempted murder, tried, convicted, and sentenced to 21 years in prison. October 18, 1992 was a defining moment for both Misty Wright and Keith Blackburn, but it wasn't the last defining moment in their lives. Keith Blackburn went to prison, but he had a praying mom. Anyone listening who has or had a praying mom? This mother's prayers were answered when a man introduced Keith Blackburn in prison to Jesus Christ, and he trusted him as his Savior. He earned his GED. Then he got an associate's degree and, and then a bachelor's degree. And he was released from prison after serving only eight and a half years. When he was released, he made the decision that he was going back into prison as a volunteer to try and help other people that had made really, really poor decisions in their life. And he had to have a job, and so he got the only job that he could get at that time, which was washing big trucks. 
And so he's washing big trucks, and he's cleaning the, the windshields with, with newspaper. And he reads about a seminary degree that's offered not too far from where he's living. The people at the prison had told him, you know, Keith, if you get a, a seminary degree, a master's of divinity, you can, you can come back and you could actually work in the prison as a chaplain. And so he signs up and goes to seminary and completes his master of divinity. That's where I met him. Th this guy who everyone had labeled as one of the world's biggest losers, and he would have agreed with you, took that job and continues today to serve as an Indiana Department of Corrections chaplain. The young lady that he shot in the face, Misty, well, she endured multiple surgeries and never had a chance to play college softball. She suffered from PTSD. She wanted desperately to know why her assailant had done this to her, but, but she was prohibited by law from asking him, from reaching out and trying to make contact with him. In fact, when she found out that he had been released early from prison, she was very, very upset. She was fearful and angry, and she got a restraining order. But God's Word was at work in both of their lives. And it's an amazing story that's, that's too long to completely tell this morning, but let me sum it up in just a few sentences. Eighteen years after the shooting... Misty found a way to use social media for good. By the way, I wish everybody could find a way to use social media for good. But Misty used Facebook to make a connection with Keith. And so they met. And when they met, Misty did the most remarkable thing. She forgave him. They became friends. And today they traveled together throughout this, this, the country telling their story of crime and repentance and forgiveness at churches and restorative just, justice conferences and the media and other venues. Can I remind you again, God's Word has in the past, can in the present and will in the future provide the best defining moments for your life. You see, we're, we're works in progress. When, when I go to see Dr. Privet, I typically hear the same thing every single time. You know, Keith, your eyes have changed. And you know what I've discovered? He never says they're getting better. <laughs> Outwardly, we are wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day, right? So my eyes are getting, getting worse, and so I have what's called progressive lenses. I can see far off and I can see up close but only because of the glasses that I have on. You know while that's true for us physically that our eyes get worse, here's what I believe from the bottom of my heart. I believe that that our vision needs to be getting better. We, we need to be seeing progressively because God's Word is at work in our lives. Remember that healing of the first blind man brought to Jesus who, who begged Jesus to, to heal their friend? Well, it's, it's one of the strangest stories in the New Testament. In, in fact, that, that Mark 8 passage is not included in Matthew and Luke, which is really, really unusual. And some Bible scholars, they, they speculate that, that Matthew and Luke were embarrassed to tell the story 
that Mark tells. You know why? Well, well, in that story, uh, Jesus spit in his hands, and then he put his hands on the man's eyes to, to heal him. And then he asked the man one of those questions, can, can you see? Remember what the guy said? The guy says, well, I, I can see people, but they look like trees. So, so Jesus puts his hands on him a second time. And Scripture says, looks at him intently and asks him again, what can you see? And he saw everything clearly. It's almost, and this sounds strange, I know, but it's almost like it's a miracle that took two tries. But you know what it reminds me of? There's a whole lot of things that, that I don't yet see clearly. But there's still hope. Because I, like you, am a work in progress. So we've come to what my friend likes to call the so what portion of the message. I call it the conclusion. So here's my concluding question for you. How can God's Word create defining moments in your life and in my life? Three things, and they're really quick. The first is this. Before you ever open God's Word, pray. And just ask God to, to speak to you through what you're about to read. Just, just pray something simple like, Lord, let, let me hear your voice as I read your word today. Let me answer those questions that you ask in Scripture. Let me answer them personally. N number two, pick a chapter, j just one chapter. doesn't matter whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. doesn't matter whether it's in Genesis or Revelation. Just pick one chapter, just one chapter. Pray that prayer, then read that chapter with a pen in your hand and a three-by-five card or a journal or maybe even just a post-it note. And when you're done with that chapter, write down what's the one message that God has for you, a personal message from that chapter. Then finally, number three, share the clarity that you got with somebody else. Here, here's what I believe will happen. I believe God will put somebody in your path that day that needs to hear exactly what God spoke to you about that morning. I've watched it happen over and over and over again. You know, this week I was attempting to, to practice what I'm preaching, <laughs> and, and I found myself uh, in Psalm 73. There's probably not too many of us in this room that could just say, this is what Psalm 73 says, unless it happens to be where your life verse is or just something that, that you've spent some... I've got to be honest, I, I had read Psalm 73 before, but I did not remember Psalm 73. And when I read Psalm 73 one day this last week, it was almost as if I was reading it for the very first time. I know it wasn't the first time, but it felt like I was reading it for the first time. And, and the clarity that I got that day, I will never forget. It, it was simply this. It, it's a psalm that starts out talking about, I don't know what's going on in the world, and I don't know about you, but I find myself thinking that all the time these days. I, I don't know what's happening. It's like everything has gone crazy. But as you move through that psalm, I, I, I came to the conclusion that, that while my earthly perspective is not God's perspective, 
What I need to do more than anything else is to get God's perspective. Those moments I thought about a recent visit from our granddaughter. Now, Pastor Rick and Annette, they have sweet Sadie. And I'll get extra points, I think, uh, filling in for him this week if I mentioned Sadie. I don't have a picture of her to show you, but if I did, I, I, I would. You heard Pastor Dan say earlier, we, we've got Avery and Balin, and we think that they're pretty awesome too. For the last few years, Avery comes to town at least for a, a week every year. Uh, she comes to town for what I, I like to call Camp Gigi. Uh, Balin is not quite old enough, but we think she's going to join us next year. Now, now Camp Gigi is this nonstop series of adventures uh, that I may be getting too old for. And Avery was here just a few weeks ago, and, uh, and we enjoyed trips to the zoo and the science museum and biking and hiking and horseback riding and a visit to the Clydesdale. And then we went to the water park. Now, my favorite part of the water park was the Lazy River. You know what the Lazy River is? I mean, you just get on a tube and you just kind of float, you know, like at a half a mile an hour, you know, all the way around. It's just awesome. Avery's favorite part was this crazy, winding, twisting, pitch black, dark tunnel that spins you around and around and generally does wonders for improving your prayer life. There's a picture I think they're going to throw up here. This shows us at the, the end of... Uh, the ride. This was the only time that we did this where we came out facing forward. Every other time we were, we were backwards. Now Avery's too young to ride it by herself, but, but it was her favorite thing to do, so we had to ride it over and over and over again. Gigi plans these adventures, but she depends, depends on, on Pop to handle all of the scary parts. So now, aside from the fear factor about this one particular slide, there was this fatigue factor of climbing the stairs because you're climbing up to about the fourth story to be able to, to ride this. Did I mention that we did this over and over again? So, so we're on like the ninth or tenth time of climbing up there, and we're, we're waiting for them to clear the tube so that we can get in. And, and Avery looks up at me with her seven-year-old sweet eyes, and, and she says these words to me. Pop, don't you just love this? <laughs> and I told her I did. I told her I loved being with her, and, and most of all, you know what I really love? I, I just love her. And I don't ever want her to have even a moment's doubt about that. You know... Her perspective on that moment and my perspective were completely different. She loved the twists and turns and water in her face and maybe at some level knowing that her pop was with her and that he was going to do his best to keep her safe. So, so we had this shared experience, right? But my perspective was, was really, really different. So back to Psalm 73. You know, I got... In that moment, what I believe was God's perspective in a whole new way this week. You see, I've always thought about how I feel spending time in God's Word. You know what I'd never thought about? Never, ever had I thought about how God feels about me spending time in His Word. But in that moment... 
I thought about the love and joy that God has in that moment, the kind of love and joy I experienced on a crazy water slide with a little girl named Avery. God's Word has in the past, can in the present, and will in the future provide the most defining moments in our lives if we let Him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the messages that you want to communicate with us. Sometimes they're messages of call. Sometimes they're messages of correction. Sometimes, Lord, they're messages of instruction. My prayer today for each of us is that we would fall in love again, maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time with your word. It's the choir saying those words about healing earlier today. I, I thought about the words of Jesus to blind Bartimaeus. What, what do you want me to do for you? Perhaps, Lord, there's someone here today that, uh, that needs to just tell you what it is that they want you to do for them. You know already, but, but by telling you, they're demonstrating faith that you can touch them, you can heal them. Maybe, Lord, we need to flip that question around this morning and instead of asking what do you want Jesus to do for me? What, what is it, Jesus, that you want me to do for you? Maybe there is a call upon somebody's life this morning. Today is the day that will become a defining moment and that call will be answered. Lord, in all this, I just pray that these next few moments are moments of reflection where we just rest in your presence and we know that you love being with us. Help us, Lord, to turn our eyes upon you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, it has been so good to worship this morning and to hear from God's word. I hope and I trust that it was enriching to your life as it was mine. And so as we go from this place, may we go with full trust and assurance that God's word is active and alive. And may we hunger and thirst for the new ways in which he's opening our eyes and bringing about a new defining moment in us. May you go in peace. Hey, what a great morning. So thankful to have you with us. Through this week, there are other ways you can stay connected with us, through Facebook, Instagram. And again, if you miss anything, you can head over to our YouTube page. Uh, one more time, if you haven't connected with us, we would love for you to text connect on the screen. It's our main line of communication and just a way for us to begin to walk with you through your faith journey. If you've been a part of our church for a while uh, and you're saying, hey, I, I kind of want to step into what's next for me, we would love for you to connect with us and uh, see where it would be a great spot for you to serve. Uh, that's one of the important parts about being a member here at BSC. We get plugged in and we see what God can do through all of us, right? So hope you have a great week. We love you. And we'll talk to you soon. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.